Morning. Good to see you today. And let me add my welcome to you if you're new to Kings, if you're visiting, if you're here to see uh, babies, given thanks for, and children. Wonderful, isn't it? Great to be family together. So, um, so we're doing a series today called uh, A People of Praise. And today we're looking at a theme within that series. Last week, Luke looked at reverence, what it means to reverence God. This week, we're going to look at what it means to be people who are filled with joy as we praise, and what it looks like for us to praise God with joy in community, particularly in application. Uh, You know, the Bible mentions the word rejoicing 154 times. Did you know that? I bet you didn't, yeah. And it mentions joy a whopping 242 times. Um, now, here's, here's a question for you. Um, so the Apostle Paul asked this question to the early church. In fact, it was, it was to a fairly new group of churches in Galatia who'd started so well and were really exploding in terms of their, their gospel witness and their, their sense of privilege of being Christian. And it all began to go wrong for them. And they got into legalism. And, and here's, here's the killer question he asked them. What's happened to your joy? Ouch. I think there's a question for us as the church of God today, and you and I as believers, to ask this same question of ourselves and to let the Apostle Paul ask it of us. How's your joy doing? What has happened to your joy? That word joy in, in Galatians there, it, it means this overwhelming sense of blessedness, this sense of privilege, this sense of satisfaction in God. Paul had that as part and parcel of being a Christian, this feeling of blessedness, this feeling of joy. It's so easy to get into doing things by rote and because we feel they should be done. Here's the observation God made of the ancient people of Israel in Deuteronomy 28. He said about them when they were in decline, he said, you did not serve the Lord your God joyfully and gladly. Perhaps they were serving him. I don't know about you, that's a very real pressure. Anybody else find that pressure? I'm serving God, but I'm not doing it necessarily gladly or joyfully. Do you know that that's a very short-term position in the Christian life to take? Sometimes God calls us to persist, and sometimes we don't always feel it, but let me show you something. So, um, like hundreds of years ago, back in the 1500s, uh, the Reformation happened in, in, uh, across Europe. And the Bible went from being taught in Latin only, and, and, and people couldn't read it for themselves. And over a very short space of time, people who knew and understood the Bible put it into English, and they also produced things called catechisms to help people really understand what the Bible said very quickly, because people didn't know. And they produced one for children called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And question one, when they, they said, what's the biggest question that we could answer? They said, the question they asked was this, well, what is the chief end of man? It's not a very good children's question, is it? But back then it probably was. What is the chief end of man? And this was the answer. The chief end of man, this is from all their study of scripture, all the most learned people getting together, said, let's summarize it in a phrase, loads of scriptures to back this up. The chief, man's chief end is to glorify God and to... Enjoy him forever. And those two things aren't unlinked. To glorify God is to enjoy him forever. And so today, I want us to understand five sources of joy 
for us. Uh, I think in Isaiah it says, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. You can see these as five wells, if you like, that we can draw water from today. And here's the five things. Well, number one, that God is a God of joy. Secondly, the gospel is a gospel of joy. Thirdly, God's word directs us towards joy. Fourthly, the Holy Spirit brings us joy whenever we ask. And fifthly, a praising community practices praises with joy. You ready? We're going to go fast. Because uh, we don't have long, and I overran last time. So we need to get on. Okay. Firstly, number one, God is a God of joy. To find joy, I must know God. Um, so here, here's a wonderful thing. Tomorrow, it's already been referenced today, Maria and Frederick are getting married. Isn't that wonderful? And uh, that's going to be here at King's. We're so excited about that. And uh, I imagine you guys are kind of looking forward to it. Like, I am, yeah. You know, you, you, Fred, that, that smile on Frederick's face, amazing. <laughs> and Maria's as well, actually. Um, and now, this is what... I imagine there's going to be dancing. I imagine it's going to be rejoicing. A lot of dancing, knowing Maria. And uh, there's, going to, there's, there's serious moments. There's, there's vows being taken, but there's also great, great celebration and joy. Here's what the Bible says about you. If you belong to Jesus, if you belong to God, it says, as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so your God will rejoice over you. Isn't that amazing? You're married, you're unmarried, whoever you are today, God finds joy in you. He loves you and he is delighted in you. Of course, we can cause God sorrow. We can cause him grief and pain. But here's his default position. that He always comes back to it. He, he's just delighted and overjoyed in you. In fact, here's another verse. Zephaniah 3, verse 17, one of the uh, minor prophets in the Old Testament it says, the Lord your God is in your midst, the mighty one who will save, and he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love, and he will exult over you with loud singing. You ever thought about God singing? Not just quietly, not humming. He's loudly singing <laughs> over you and over me. And I, I, I don't know what singers you, I don't know who your favorite singers are. I imagine for all of us here, we have people that we like to listen to, artists. And the remarkable thing about singers, artists, is that when they perform certain songs, they, they reach into the depths of our soul. Have you ever had that experience? No, okay. Um, and so, so, here's the, so you find that the remarkable thing is that somebody you don't know, whoever it is, that famous artist, they, they sing a song about somebody who neither of you probably know. And yet it penetrates to the depths of your being. And it makes you feel goose pimples or, or joy or whatever that thing is. When Adele sings, let me photograph you in this light. <laughs> See, it just happened for you right then, didn't it? <laughs> okay, I'm not Adele, clearly. Or when Whitney Houston says, I will always love you, or when Brian Adams sings Summer of 69, or when Bono sings Beautiful Day. These are moments. Can you imagine when you as a human being feel the resonance of a God who does know you 
and is singing very directly towards you, about you, of his love for you. He's a God who rejoices over us. God the Father rejoices over you. Jesus the Son also does. He's the image of the invisible God, and this is what it says about him. It says that God anointed him, uh, has set, you, set him above his companions by anointing him with the oil of joy. In his earthly ministry, Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy. That's what it looked like to hang around Jesus. In fact, there was one time when his disciples came back and they just had a bit of a learning day um, on, on how to cast out demons. And they came back and they were pretty pleased. They were chuffed because it actually worked. And they came back to Jesus. And do you know what? He didn't do a slow hand clap. He said, well, well done. That is level one of 394 in the Christian life, guys. And you have achieved the very base. No, he, he said... It says he was filled with joy through the Holy Spirit. And he said, I thank you, Father, for revealing this to children. He calls them kids. He is so delighted in small progress in your life because he shows the heart of God. Do you know, every time you take a small act of faith, whether it's baptism, whether it's standing up for him, whether it's just being known as a Christian, do you know the delight of God is all over you? Every small step you take, he is rejoicing over you. He's a joy-filled saviour. He mirrors our joy and loves it when we mirror his. Even the horrors of the cross in the New Testament are framed in the context of joy. That might surprise you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God cross was the most horrible thing. Yet, Jesus saw beyond it to the joy that would come and would surround what he achieved. You know, depictions of Jesus, sometimes in artwork and sometimes in cinematography, don't do him any favors on the levels of joy. Some of the more recent things, I like the chosen, some of that does a little bit better with that, but because people are so keen to portray his seriousness and the seriousness of his message... They sometimes miss the fact that, that Jesus was just fun to be around. Um, a guy called Lord Hailsham, who was a former leader of the House of Lords, when he discovered who Jesus really was for himself, he wrote this about Jesus. He said, the first thing we must learn about Jesus is that we should have been absolutely entranced by his company. Jesus was irresistibly attractive as a man. What they crucified was a young man, vital, full of life and the joy of it the Lord of life itself, and even more, the Lord of laughter. Someone so utterly attractive that people followed him for the sheer fun of it. The 20th century, the 21st as well, needs to recapture the vision of the glorious and happy man whose mere presence filled his companions with delight. No pale Galilean he, but a veritable Pied Piper of Hamelin, who would have have the children laughing all around him and squealing with pleasure and joy as he picked them up. Jesus, isn't he amazing? What a friend. Um, three, three very quick applications on that point. First is this. So if, if God is like that, if God is so filled with joy over us and towards us, firstly, here's the thing. He's a great help whenever we need it. Whenever you're feeling down, whenever you're feeling low. What's the thing that you do when you feel sad or discouraged? Probably, if you're a bit like me, something you'll do is you'll 
go and seek out the company of people who are a bit happier than you. Because <laughs> I find it lifts me. Friendships lift me. Not always a great experience for them, but good for me. <laughs> Jesus is the friend who lifts us because he always has more than enough joy to lift us up no matter where we are at. Here's the second application. The Bible says be imitators of God. If God is filled with joy, then he wants us to be like him and to practice joy. Now, that's the third point then, which is if you're feeling like, well, yeah, but I'm just not like that. I just don't feel that way. I I just can't do that. Romans chapter 12 So Romans chapter 8 says that he transforms us. It says, For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God is conforming us, conforming you and me into the image of Jesus. He's making you more like him. He's making you more joyful, like Jesus was. Uh, Somebody once observed a sculptor with a large block of marble. And uh, he was chipping away at it. And somebody stopped and said, so what are, you, what, are you, what, are you, what are you making? And he said, I'm making a horse. And the person watching said, well, how are you going to do that? And the sculptor said, well, it's quite easy, really. I'm just going to chip away everything that doesn't look like a horse. Here's how transformation happens in your life. God, by his Holy Spirit, chips away everything that is ungrateful and ungracious and joyless in your life over time. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. Sometimes we associate older years. Do you remember that awful TV series, Victor Meldrew? No, okay. Um, It it was a story of a a man who, who just got very bitter and cynical the older he got, and it was kind of hilarious to watch him. And sometimes we associate getting older with getting grumpier. Actually, the maturer you get as a Christian, the more like Jesus you get, the more joy that belongs to him belongs to you, and you radiate his joy. God is making you more of a joy-filled man or joy-filled woman. So that's the first thing. God is a God of joy. Here's the second uh, well that we can drink from, that the gospel is a gospel of joy. The word gospel means good news. And this is what the angel said to the shepherds on the hillside. Do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And what you find is that the teachings of Jesus, the parables of Jesus, teach us that 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 salvation, the gospel, brings joy. There's a parable about treasure hidden in a field. That, that, um, that The man finds the treasure, and it says, with great joy, he sells everything he has so he could get that field full of treasure. The gospel is worth more than anything, and it brings joy. There's another time when, I hadn't spotted this till yesterday, but um, when Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep, he um, it, it, it says that when, he, when the farmer recovers the lost sheep, he finds it and he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. You know, it doesn't say when he found that sheep, he threw it on the back of the tractor and he drove it back angrily, saying, well, that's another Saturday night wasted, and throws it back into the pen and says, now you stay there. 
No. Our shepherd, he tenderly loves to rescue us whenever you're in a hole. He puts you on his shoulders and he's really happy about it. He's really filled with joy that he can rescue you again and again and again. The gospel is a, a wonderful thing. Um, earlier on, I said, when Paul asked the question in Galatians, what, what has happened to all your joy? That same word, joy, that sense of blessedness, appears in Romans 4, chapter 6, when Paul explains why the gospel does bring joy to the Roman Christians. Romans 4, verse 6 says this. He's quoting David. He says, David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness, the joy, of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. What a wonderful thing. This is the blessed state of the Christian. This is the joyful state. It's this that your sins are never, ever going to be held against you. Nothing that you've done wrong to hurt other people or to hurt God will ever get held against you. Now, part of us, we're strong on justice in our culture, right? We think things should be paid for. You think if somebody does a wrong, it should be held to account? Absolutely so, and God's the God of justice. But here's what happens at the cross, which Paul is, is unpacking for us there. That the justice of God is fully served against our failure and our sin. Everything that you and I have done wrong to hurt others and to dismiss God from our lives. He has punished all of that fully at the cross of Jesus. And here's the result from Romans 6. Your transgressions are forgiven. Your sins are covered. The sins, your sins will never be counted against you. What does that bring us when we understand it? Joy. Four times in chapters, in John, chapters 15 and 16 of John's gospel, Jesus seems especially concerned for the disciples' joy. He says that your joy might be complete, that your joy might be full. The resurrection stories are often accompanied with great joy as the people witness the resurrected Christ in their lives. There's no greater joy a human can know than to be found by Jesus and to be rescued and carried by him and to encounter him. Do you know what it is to be found by Jesus, to be found in the gospel? Here's the third source of joy for us today. So God, the gospel, God's word. God's word directs us towards joy. And you ever had that experience when, you know, maybe we're in church or something, and somebody up the front says something like, why don't you just begin to just, in your own words, just say thank you to God for all he's done for you. And you ever had that experience where your mind goes entirely blank? Any, anyone? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's kind of ordinary, isn't it? It's like, I can't think of a single thing right now <laughs> to rejoice in God about. Well, we're blessed because God gives us his word. In fact, we don't have time to even study the fullness of what the Bible teaches about reasons to rejoice. But I just here's a Bible study for you this week if you want to do something in your own time. Read through the book of Psalms or in Bible Gateway, just type the word joy in and look at all the references in Psalms and look at all the reasons that ancient Israel found to experience joy in God. I'll give you a few just to get you going, to whet your appetites. Here's one, Roman, uh, Psalm 5. Let all who take refuge in, refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. God's our refuge. 
Secondly, he's our life-giving presence. He says, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. His word gives us joy. It says in Psalm 19, verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Simple one. When you read your Bible, God gives you joy. He answers prayer. Psalm 20, verse 5. May we shout for joy over the victory he gives. He he saves us. He turns our wailing into dancing. Um, Here's a simple one. When you're feeling nothing at all, Psalm 33, verse 1. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Isn't that good? I'm feeling nothing at all today. What am I going to do, says the psalmist? I'm going to worship God with joy today because I'm not feeling anything, just because it's the right thing to do. God has called and chosen us. God is awesome. God dwells among us. God, uh, God's creation is cared for by him. Uh, it says, where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. God's faithfulness in history is another common theme. Sing for the, uh, Psalm 81, sing for joy to God our strength. Shout aloud to the God of Jacob. You think, why on earth are they singing about some old guy who lived generations ago? Because they're saying, if God was faithful to Jacob, he's going to be faithful to me. And God's going to be faithful to you because he's been faithful to all the people of Scripture. Sing of his faithfulness and he brings you joy. God loves us every day. Psalm Psalm 90 verse 14. You satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Last one. God comforts us when we are anxious. Psalm 94 says, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. Wow. When we're at our most anxious, God is more than able in the midst of anxiety to bring us joy. But sometimes we think that joy is a response to something that God does immediately for us. And a bit like a comedian telling a joke. You just wait for the punchline and it's just like, ha now I laugh. God does something good and I get joy. Actually, in Scripture, there's so much depth to this that we must understand. And uh, here's one example. In fact, probably the greatest example where God leads people through a period of protracted sorrow and repentance. But the result, is the greatest joy they've ever known. So this is it. In Nehemiah chapter 8, God's people have been scattered all over Babylon, and now they've been, they're being brought together. They haven't been reading their Bibles. In fact, the book of the law hasn't been read for generations. And they're gathering together. They're rebuilding the temple. And, and then uh, Nehemiah, uh, Nehemiah gets Ezra to stand on a platform, and he just reads the Bible all day long, the books of the law. And when that happens... The, the people start weeping because it's not a very encouraging thing because God's reading them the, the, the law of everything that they've not done and they feel deeply convicted and sorrowful. And nobody said, can you just stop reading, please, because you're discouraging people here. Because <laughs> actually, this is what happens. It says the people took it to heart and Nehemiah said to them, he says, it says, don't weep for the joy of the Lord is your strength. But this amazing thing happens. They, they clock in on this thing called the Feast of Tabernacles, which they haven't celebrated in their lifetimes, which is where it's basically Israel's camping holiday once a year. 
They would all get a tent and they'd go and live outside of Jerusalem for a week in the year in their tents to remind themselves of God's provision for them. And it says this, the whole company that had returned from exile built temporary shelters, tents, and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day, the Israelites had not celebrated like this, and their joy was very great. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes joy isn't a quick fix. It's actually God leading you through a season of great darkness and sorrow so that you will have joy like you've never had. Jesus himself, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. That's the third thing, that the word of God leads us towards joy, directs us to joy. Here's the fourth one. The Holy Spirit brings us joy. To receive joy, we must receive the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, verse 13, is a prayer the the Apostle Paul prays for Christians. In fact, rather than read it, I'm just going to pray it for us right now. Because that's what we're meant to do, isn't it? May the God of hope fill you, fill us with all joy and peace as you trust in him, that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, fill us. Fill us with joy, Lord, and peace that we may overflow with the hope and the power of the Spirit. We pray this prayer over ourselves today, Lord. Amen. It's a a prayer. But probably one of the best-known verses in the New Testament is, is the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Number two on the list. That's pretty high up, isn't it? I mean, nobody's going to dispute love is the most important one, is it? But joy, number two. No wonder Paul prays it for believers. No wonder he wants us to pray it for ourselves and for one another. 1 Peter 1, verse 8. Paul speaks to some Christians going through real trial. And he encourages them with these words. He says, though you have not seen him, Jesus, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Here's the hard thing about relationships. When you don't see somebody for a while, somebody you really care about, we, we, get, we get a bit angsty, don't we? Because we, we, we need them to be close. When we can't see God, what's the solution? These people feel like, oh, man, everything's going wrong around us and we can't see God. Paul doesn't say, well, just wait for eternity. He says, By the Holy Spirit, you are being filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, even though you do not see him now, for you are receiving the end result of your faith. The end result is everlasting joy will be ours forever. What we receive now is the deposit guaranteeing what is to come. 
the deposit of joy in our hearts now by the Holy Spirit. God wants to fill us today. Here's the final one. Fifthly, a praising community praises, practices praising with joy. God is calling us as believers. Here's a well that he wants every believer to drink from. Praising and rejoicing in community together. You know, rejoicing in community is a wonderful thing, a powerful thing, but it's a very complex thing. It's complex because our experience of God is so personal. So uh, Proverbs 14 sums it up this way. It says, each heart knows its own bitterness, and no one else can share its joy. Isn't that right? There'll be people all across this room today, upstairs, downstairs, watching online. Some of us will be feeling some things very deeply. Some of us will be feeling deeply stirred up, bitter perhaps about some things. And you'll explain it to somebody else. They'll be like, I don't know why you're so bitter about that. For other of us, you ever meet people where they're just laughing and you think, I don't know what you're laughing about. What's so funny here? And they're just having the greatest of times. Well, every one of us is different. But there is something together we're called to experience in the area of rejoicing. So in Romans 12, verse 15, we're instructed to rejoice with those who rejoice. So even if we're not rejoicing, even if we're not feeling it, we're being told we should rejoice with others. And if we're not mourning, if, if somebody else is going through a season of grieving or loss or hardship, as Christians, we don't say, oh, well, that's sad for them. We're to step in, we're to empathize. Perhaps we understand that one slightly better, that of course we empathize if somebody's going through a hard time because we're family. But the Bible says both these things, that we're actually to, to weep with those who weep, but we're to rejoice in community with those who rejoice. God has called us to be those who rejoice together when we gather. I was listening to, um, I stumbled across online a, a YouTube video of a worship leader preaching. And this worship leader used to, used to lead worship at festivals. And I hadn't seen him for decades, to be honest. And I thought, oh, I haven't seen him for a while. So I actually watched the preach. And uh, it was a remarkable preach. And I mean, he, he's probably slightly older than me now. And I'd first seen him lead worship in his 20s. He was an amazing worship leader. And he took people through his journey of being a worshiper over decades. And it was a really fun preach to watch. Um, he basically talked about when he first became a Christian and he was at a Baptist church. And he said, he said, he said and we, we, I said, I learned these great hymns I've never learned before. And can it be? My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose. And, and, and he picked up his guitar and he'd play us a, a verse of each, of each kind of song. At different moments in his life, you know, when, when he got filled with the Spirit and, and, when, and when God did something amazing at this conference, and I remember this song, and I remember it, and he'd play us the song. And it was so powerful and so moving. And then, totally out of the blue, I wasn't expecting it because I, I, I didn't know him at all. And he said, and then, totally unexpectedly, my wife left me. And I had two young kids. He said, and I was absolutely devastated. Didn't see it coming. And he said, I did my best to get to church. He said, but I couldn't sing a word. He said, I was so broken. And uh, 
He said, but the amazing thing was this. He said, there was a group of people around me, people I consider family, church friends, and they would stand next to me, and in the moments I couldn't sing, they'd just lay a hand on me, and they would pray for me. He said, and they'd sing on my behalf. They'd sing when I couldn't sing. They'd rejoice when I felt it was hard to rejoice. See, that's what it looks like to rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep, to do it together in family, to be real. The Bible says rejoice in the Lord always. We rejoice our way through every anxiety and uncertainty by celebrating what is certain and what is true. What does that look like? Well, First of all, it looks like just uh, it looks like coming together to be together, to make this the priority, to make sure at ten thirty that we are here ready to go as we worship God together or in your small group when you do this. It means being led by people who lead us in songs of joy. We've, as elders, we've been having brilliant times recently just with our. Our worship leaders at Kings, they do such a brilliant, remarkable job. It's not, it's not an easy thing, is it, to, to lead from a stage, a room full of diverse people, all at different places, and to say, hey, let's do this together. But one of the things we're really encouraging is, hey, let, let's lead people in joy. In fact, you'll find that there's good biblical precedent for this. In uh, 1 Chronicles 15, it says that David told the leaders of the Levites in Israel, to appoint their fellow Levites as musicians to make a joyful sound with musical instruments, lyres, harps, and cymbals. In a sense of which, well, let's, let's get some people to actually really lead the way in these things. And we'll, if people lead, that requires the rest of us to join in. And I really want to encourage you, if, if worship leaders instruct us to, to, to applaud or to sing or to stand or to raise holy hands. These are all wonderful things that I'd really urge you to do because that's what it looks like to praise in unity and as a congregation together. But what does it look like? Well, uh, next slide, please, Um, Josh. Thank you. Well, here's some biblical encouragements. So the nature of praise is it can't simply be internal. Praise always finds an expression. I love that old hymn that says, Thank we all our God with heart and hand and voices. Everything within us is called to praise him. And uh, here, here's some, some things you might just want to think about as you worship. Let us go to the house of the Lord. Turning up is a big one. Coming. Here's another one. Clap your hands, O ye nations. Clapping isn't just a way of keeping rhythm in the song. It's a way of praising the Lord. Lifting your hands to God is a way of expressing your praise to him. Shouting to the Lord isn't something we shouting isn't just something we do at football matches. It's something that we're called to do in praise of Him. Singing a new song, a song where we don't have the words. When somebody says, "Just sing your own song," that's a very biblical thing to say. Well, I'm just going to say the words that are in my heart, and I'm going to let them overflow to God in praise. Dancing, wow! And instruments. We we praise God with our instruments. I, I was thinking th- this week about the redemption of our bodies, as it's mentioned in Scripture. That one day, 
Our bodies, no matter how sick and frail they are now, are going to be fully redeemed by God in eternity, and we're going to be with him forever. That's a wonderful thought. I just got to think, what does that look like for us in the context of praise? Because actually all of these things, our hands, our hearts, our voices, all of these things, we use them for so many things in this life. I just got thinking that some of the things that, like, I think we often experience anger and frustration. When God redeems that, that will become passion for Jesus. We often use our hands. The, the, the Apostle Paul says uh, to Timothy, he says, let the, let, the man, let the men not use their hands for fighting, but to, to lift their hands in prayer. Sometimes we use our, our hands for ignoble purposes, to fight, or sometimes to tap out bad messages on Twitter. And here's what it looks like for our hands to be redeemed, to be lifted in praise to God. What, when do you shout in life? Sometimes at my kids, sometimes at the driver in front of me. God wants to redeem it so that I shout to him, praises for him. He wants to redeem our dawdling feet to become dancing feet. He wants to redeem our voices, even those who who can't sing for whatever reason, or who aren't fully able-bodied. God will redeem our bodies. But whatever we can do in this life to, to offer our bodies to him, heart and hands and voices, is what he's called us to do. Final thought on that, which is this, that in my experience, and perhaps yours, When you come to worship God in community, we have an enemy who resists our praises. And he whispers in our ear from the moment we start to the moment we finish that we're not worthy, that we shouldn't be here, that we're faking it. We get distracted by what other people are doing. We find ourselves judging others and we feel worse about ourselves. All of these things are real battles praising in community. Now, I can't always control my thoughts. I tell you what I can control, my hands. <laughs> when, when my thoughts are overwhelmed with, with well, I, I'm confused and I'm, I'm not sure what I think today and I, I'm struggling to connect with God, here's the things that are much easier for me to do, to lift my hands, to clap my hands, to, to praise the Lord. And what I find is when I do those things, my mind starts to fall in line. Because actually those very acts are acts of spiritual warfare because the enemy begins to to stop his lies. So here's the question we started with. What has happened to all your joy? Here's my encouragement to you and to me today. Don't be found lacking in this area. Let's make the choice of active, expressive joy. Could the worship team come and join, please? We're going to finish with singing in, in just a moment. You know, we're all different. This, all, this looks different for all of us. Of course it does. Now, if you're the kind of person who uh, probably is uninhibited enough to like doing karaoke, you're probably not going to struggle greatly to kind of come to church and just sing your heart out to God. But if you're the kind of person who expresses sheer delight by the mildest of upturned lips at the corner of your mouth, then of course it's going to look very different for you. And that's Okay. We're not trying to compare with each other. What we're trying to do is release the praises of God and the joy of God in our hearts to be expressed as he's called to do it for us. So 
let's ask him to help us today. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing together as we close. So Lord Jesus, let's stand together and let's ask the Spirit to fill us right now. Holy Spirit, we just want to ask you now to come and fill us. Oh Lord, we do just recognize the struggle, the challenge. Lord, thank you where we have experienced your joy. Thank you where we know that. Thank you we're living it right now. Thank you we're feeling joyful. Lord, forgive us where we, we, we don't always feel it. We don't always practice it. We pray, Spirit of God, come and stir in our hearts right now a passion for you.